everyone, how are you doing? And I really mean it. How are you doing? Here in Alaska, it's winter and it's really cold. It's isolating. It's lonely. It's just one of those things. You know, when I was 16 years old, I went through a depressive episode. It was tough. It was hard. But I didn't know what it was back then. It was more like I couldn't wake up. I couldn't eat. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want a bath. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just had this overwhelming feeling of sadness. I missed school for a whole term. And I remember the conversations around that with some of my friends where she's making it up. She doesn't want to go to school uh, because she's lazy. But I was a straight A student. And that year had been a pretty hard year for me. My younger brother, who was 10 years old, had died. Four years before, my parents had died within a six-month difference. My mom died October 2001, and my dad, April 2002, six months. I was in grade seven, and I remember the headmistress of our school, Sisu Jono's primary school, Mrs. Nyabeze, calling me outside on a rainy day and walking with me and said, Alina, how are you? I said, I'm fine. You see, the societal expectation for me was I couldn't cry. There was just no space to cry. The focus always when you lost your family like that was moving on. What was the point of crying? What was the point of being sad? But I remember that term failing my grades. Like I said, I was a straight A student and I got a bunch of D's. My teacher was so compassionate that she wrote that Alina has been through a tough year. My grandmother on the other side didn't understand. Why are you failing school? I'm giving you the best that I can. Your parents are gone. And I think those are some of the conversations we have when it comes to depression. I grew up in a community where we don't talk about depression. I still think that there's no languaging for depression in my language. There's no word for it. You're sad. Yeah, you're going through unfortunate events, yeah, but who isn't is the rhetoric around it. Who hasn't lost parents? Who hasn't lost a job? Who isn't suffering right now? Who hasn't lost a relationship? Who hasn't found purpose in their life? Who is living their best life? Who isn't going through pain? Suicide is seen as a weakness. Ah, they kill themselves. Why? Why? When there's so much to live for. Man. Right? And, I don't know, today I woke up to the news of Ricky Mercado dying. He's somebody that I didn't know. But he's somebody that I used to watch. You know, listen to his music. Such a man with so much spirit. And yet... He died by suicide. When we use words like committed suicide, it's a crime. It sounds like a crime, right? Committed suicide. And I know that is the languaging that we used to use back in the day. But I want to say that we have to be really compassionate and understand that suicidal ideation 
is a symptom of pain. And when I talk of pain, I'm talking about that pain that is not physical, it is mental. Have you ever felt hopeless, helpless to a point where waking up in the morning makes no sense? That you don't even have the energy to brush your teeth. You just lie there in the bed just thinking, thinking and thinking. It's like a never-ending spiral. You think to a point where it feels like, it seems like you're in a deep hole and you can't see the light. And once you get to that point, you just think, you know what? It would be easier if I didn't wake up. It would be easier if I wasn't alive. Who cares about me? You see, your thought process in that point is, no one loves me. And I know those are cognitive distortions because, frankly, I'm sure a lot of people love you. I'm sure a lot of people care for you. But in that moment, it sure seems that way, right? And once you start having those thoughts, guess what? Your feelings are negative too. You start feeling sad, helpless, hopeless, lonely, no light at the end of the tunnel, and you just want to die. Now, suicidal ideation happens in different ways. There's a way where it's active, right? Where a person has an actual plan. They want to end their life by hanging themselves. They want to end their lives by drinking medication. They want to end their lives by throwing themselves in front of a moving car. Yes, specific ideology with intent. And they are thinking about it. And some people will start writing or doing these subliminal things. They will write little messages or you'll see them on social media saying, you know, if I was to die today, farewell, good luck, you'll never see me again. They'll start giving away their things, right? Start distributing, oh, you know, if I die, please take my shirt. If I die, you know, please do this for me. Or they're just saying goodbye. They'll come to you and say, hey, friend, I just want to tell you that how much I love you. I'm going to miss you and hug you tightly. I want us to be aware of that. I want us to check up on each other. Because sometimes we miss the signs because we're so focused on, oh, you crazy, you're not going to die. But maybe they're thinking about it. Maybe I am thinking about taking my life. Maybe I am thinking about dying by suicide. And in that moment, it's not insulting us that's going to save their life. Or it's not us saying, why would you want to kill yourself? You have so many things to live for. It's listening. It's being empathetic. It's being in the moment and saying, really strange what's going on and allowing them to pour their heart out to tell you what it is that they are feeling and sometimes it makes no sense to us shoot why would you be feeling that way when you have an awesome job why would you be feeling that way when you have two children to look forward to why would you be feeling that way when you have a family that loves you well they're in pain a lot of pain it's pain that is inexplicable it's pain that at that moment whether they're loved or not doesn't matter and we're just there to support them so that they can fire they can light a fire now when i talk about lighting a fire it could be the littlest of things 
you know, I am a mental health clinician and when we safety plan, you know, I could spend five hours talking to somebody and, you know, it's like a loop. So you kind of have to gauge. So let's say client A comes into my office and they're presenting with suicidal ideation and I'll say, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, you know, my life. Oh my gosh. I'm just so overwhelmed. Okay. Why are you overwhelmed? This, 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 and this that telling me. Now, sometimes people are so caught up with their pain that as you're talking to them, you can feel them getting deeper and deeper into the pain and it's a deep hole. So you distract, you distract. And sometimes I'll go like, oh man, you validate too. Oh man, like, yeah, sounds like you're going through really tough time. Tell me, where did you buy those shoes? Then they go, huh? Where did you buy those shoes? Those shoes really look dope. You know, like those shoes are really, really cool. And then, you know, in that moment, you're just trying to distract them from dealing, from going into that deep hole. Once they relax, then we tackle it again. So yeah, you were telling me about, you know, how your life was overwhelming and that you're sad. Tell me more about that. Then we start tackling those issues again. We start tackling those issues again. If you get a sense that they're in that deep hole again and getting into that trap where they're like, everything is meaningless, I want to die. We distract, validate, slowly distract them, right? The most important thing is the ability to listen and to validate. And when I say validate, it's acknowledge, acknowledging that that pain for that person is real for them. Being present with them and saying, I hear you, I hear you. Oh man, I'm so sorry. Sometimes you reflect. Sounds like you're having a rough time. Yeah. I can see why you would be feeling the way that you feel. It's okay to feel the way that you feel. It's okay to be in pain. Pain is part of life. We go through different types of pain. And people handle pain differently. But when it's suicidal ideation, active suicidal ideation, we have to be there for each other. Now, suicidal ideation is also a symptom of depression. And I know we don't talk a lot about depression. I remember when I went through my depressive episode, and I still do on occasion go through depressive episodes, I couldn't eat, loss of appetite, and sometimes I would binge eat, couldn't exercise, and hygiene, brushing teeth, taking a shower, cleaning the house. And I, for my friends and family who know me, know I love cleaning, cleaning the house. Couldn't do it. Isolation, right? Staying away from people, not wanting to talk to them. Just laying in bed all day long. Everything just seemed so meaningless. I don't really remember if I was suicidal or not, but I want to believe that it would have been so much easier if I died, life was just so meaningless. And I really didn't have anybody to talk to. And when I tried to explain that to everybody, you know, my siblings would say, hey, like, Alina, you know, the only person who lost Wayne, you know, my grandmother, I'm sure she was struggling with it. I'm sure she went through a depressive episode, but who do you talk to in a society that doesn't recognize that depression is a thing or recognize that 
suicide is an actual thing. It's a reality. So I want us to check up on each other. I want you to check on yourself. And when you feel that way, it's not anything shameful. It just shows that it's a lot to deal with. I want us to safety plan, okay? I want us to keep each other safe. And, you know, safety plan is more like a plan that we put in place to keep that person safe, to protect them. Remember, our goal is to save lives. I know my goal is to save lives. That's that's the whole point of being a therapist, right? Is to keep you alive. So keeping your life means I'll ask you a question. So tell me, Alina, when you are overwhelmed, who are the three people that you could talk to? Can you list them? I could talk to my best friend, talk to my brother, talk to my cousin. And sometimes... You know, these people, I usually prefer that these people be people that in the same town because it's easier for you to access them. So if you're living in Gweru or you're living in Michigan or New York, I would prefer be somebody within your vicinity. I would also want to know what their numbers are. So we write those numbers down. I'll even ask and say, hey, listen, would you be comfortable me calling these three people and checking in with them and making sure that they support you and they kind of know where you're at and with the permission of the client yeah I call them and if I can call them to my office to talk to them about what this person is experiencing and educate them on what suicide is and how you can support somebody who's going through a suicidal ideation I do that and I ask so what are the three things you can do by yourself to distract yourself from ending your life and they'll say you know listen to music take a walk uh write or hang out with my friends yeah but some of these things that they've mentioned are things that they can do with other people and i'm saying things you can do for yourself and i'll say mindfulness breathing exercises you know um body scans and all that belly breathing you know trying to relax taking a nap taking a walk talking to my talking on the phone watching tv watching you know comedies that make me laugh you know things that kind of bring me to a point where happiness what about three places you can go to uh you know i could go to the park i could go to the grocery store i could go to church you know i could go to school to see my friends right And then we also talk about three three people you know that you could talk to. And I think we've already mentioned that. And then we talk about keeping the environment safe, you know, things to watch out for, be medication. So that's why safety planning is so important because at that point you call, once I call family members or you know, roommates or friends, make sure that there are no knives lying around, there are no ropes lying around, pills lying around, anything that the person can use to end their life. Now, depending on where they're at, it might be very important for you to stay close to your friend, right? So if it's possible, you know, if monitoring is required, then making sure that there's somebody with them all the time, you know, if possible, I know it's hard, because people have to work. But again, I, I want us to remind ourselves that we want to keep this person alive, right? 
So just making sure that they have somebody with them in the house, hanging out with them, talking to them, you know, and providing that emotional support. And like I said, the most important thing is to validate. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to say anything to fix their situation. Because sometimes all it takes is for you, they just want somebody to listen, to get it, to understand where they're at, to understand how hard it is for them to understand how much pain they're in. I hope this helps, guys. Suicide is a symptom of pain. It's just what it is. People die by suicide. They don't commit suicide it is not a crime it's not cowardice it's natural sometimes to not want to wake up it's natural but once it gets to a point where you want to end your life then our goal is to save it and sometimes we just have to be there for each other I love you guys like I said I'm here for you If you need me, please reach out. You are not alone. You're not. You're loved. You're amazing. Your life means a lot to the world. You have so much to give. And when you're going through pain and you recognize it, talk to somebody.